Radio. What are we waiting for? An Advent reflection with Father Richard Leonard. This is an excerpt from the book What Are We Waiting For? Finding Meaning in Advent and Christmas. I'm not sure whether the Advent wreath has made a debut or a comeback. It was never a feature in the Advent liturgies of my childhood. I was an altar boy and I would remember seeing it or lighting the candles. I was always looking for something to do for it made Mass go more quickly. In fact, the Advent wreath has a very complex history. Wreaths go back to the Etruscans, the ancient Greeks and Romans, and symbolised all sorts of things from one's office or status in society, a success or an achievement, the forerunner of the ribbon, medal or plaque, to a fashion statement. By medieval times, wreaths had come to be used in three ways. As symbols of the harvest, as the completion of the circle of life at funerals, and as an anticipation of Christ's coming during Advent. At best, we can make out in Europe during dark December, green branches were found and woven together as a promise that spring was on the way, and candles were lit as a metaphor for Christ's birth, piercing through the darkness of our own sin. It may well have been an echo of the ancient relationship between Advent and Lent, in that the wreath can also symbolise Jesus' as yet unthroned crown. This largely German ritual was confined to people's homes. In this regard, the ritual lighting of the candles is a nice quotation of the ancient Jewish custom of the kindling of the Sabbath candle, or better still, the lighting of the menorah candle during the Feast of Dedications, Hanukkah, which, and not by accident, often coincides within our Advent. The Puritans didn't like the pagan origins of the Advent wreath, so they opposed it. But it persisted, and as German Catholics and Lutherans migrated all over the world, they took this domestic ritual with them as well. It caught on. And even though it's not an official part of our Catholic Advent liturgy, it's become a legitimate custom. It's a rare cathedral or church that does not now light the Advent wreath. It's striking that while harvest rituals and their accompanying wreaths are largely gone, the funeral and Advent wreaths remain as strong as ever. During Advent, the wreath entwines both ideas. The completion of our lifelong journey, along with the final unveiling or the apocalypse of Christ. Without doubt, the most nagging question confronting Christians as they contemplate the end of their lives and the end of the world is, what will the next world be like? Let me speculate on what may lie beyond the veil. Some time ago, Pope Benedict XVI surprised a few people when he suggested that heaven, hell and purgatory may not be places where we do time, but be experiences through which we pass or arrive. I think he's right, not only because time and space are elements of this imperfect world and not the next world, but also because this opens up interesting ideas about what these experiences might be like and how rich the Catholic tradition is in this regard. When I think of what the hereafter might be like, I turn by way of analogy to the magnificent parable of God's mercy in Luke 15, 11 to 24, the prodigal son. Here is a Jewish boy who commits two of the worst sins he could commit. He squanders his patriarch's inheritance and is so down on his luck that he would gladly have eaten what the pigs are eating. Then he decides to go home and make up with his dad. I think this is what death is like for all of us, the final journey. 
This image is poignantly evoked in the final Holy Communion given to our dying, which is called Viaticum, which literally means food for the journey. Meanwhile, in the story, the father watches and waits on the road all day, every day, for any sign of the son's return. It's worth noting that the father did not go out and club the son over the head and haul him home. The son had to put himself on the road home, which is similar to what happens when we die. We begin the final journey home. And when this extraordinary father sees him, he rushes out, kisses him, calls for a party, and even before the kid has the chance to get his well-rehearsed apology out, the father embraces him for life. That has to be heaven. For some of us who do our best, though we also fail, we get the basics right and God who knows our heart and has accompanied us as we have laboured under the difficulties with which we have lived, does not even want the apology. We're welcomed home. For some of us, however, the meeting with God may be personally painful, because God takes our free choices very seriously. So when the extraordinary Father sees some of us, he rushes out to meet us. But when we're face to face with love itself, we become aware of the many free and knowing times we've been destructive toward ourselves, others and our world. At that point, we will be allowed to start and finish the well-rehearsed apology, asking, indeed in some cases begging for forgiveness. It will cost us dearly to own what we have done because it will be so stark and it will cost God to forgive us. But because the Father is full of mercy and compassion, we will be cleansed or purged in love. Echoes of this approach are found in Pope Benedict's words when he met in 2008 with the priests and deacons of Rome during Lent. Today we're used to thinking, what is sin? God is great, he understands us, so sin does not count. In the end, God will be good to all. It's a nice hope, but there is justice and there is real blame. Those who have destroyed man and the earth cannot sit immediately at the table of God together with their victims. That's purgatory. Finally, I think there may be some of us for whom the Father will rush out to meet us, but when we are face to face with love itself, we will do what we have freely and knowingly chosen to do all our lives. We will reject God's love and walk away, the ultimate sin, which no doubt reflects how our lives on earth were spent. That has to be hell, the abyss, to see the face of God, of love itself, and walk away from it because we always have. And the Father painfully respects our choice, even this one to reject him. As Pope Benedict XVI says, it is precisely the last judgment of God that guarantees justice. We must speak specifically of sin as the possibility of destroying oneself, and thus of other parts of the earth. Like the Pope, I do not think that this group is very large. He says, Perhaps there are not so many who have destroyed themselves so completely, who are irreparable forever, who no longer have any element upon which the love of God can rest, who no longer have the slightest capacity to love within themselves. This would be hell. As painful as death and grief are, and at the end of time may be, the Advent wreath symbolizes both the completion of the cycle of life and our hope in Christ's reign beyond time and space, where we hope and pray that our parting from those we have loved in this world is not a definitive goodbye, but more a see you later. Our Advent 
holds both together. What Christ gives us this Christmas and what we look and hope for in his final coming in glory. That was Father Richard Leonard from the Society of Jesus reading an excerpt from his book, What Are We Waiting For? Finding Meaning in Advent and Christmas. To purchase a copy, visit paulistpress.com.